You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Chinatown, which came out in 1974 and was directed by Roman Polanski. It stars Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, John Huston, Perry Lopez, John Hellerman, Diane Ladd, Roy Jensen, Richard Bakalin, James Hong, and Burt Young. The genre would be neo-noir thriller. Los Angeles, 1937. There are lots of guys like J.J. Giddes. They're easy to find, if you want to find them. Where were you when your husband died? You were seeing someone, too. For very long? I don't see anyone for very long, Mr. Giddens. It's difficult for me. Mr. Giddens, you're dealing with a disturbed woman who just lost her husband. I don't want her taken advantage of. The truth. I said I wanted the truth! You do your job, and sometimes you find the answers to questions that should never be asked. Or you find out what happens to people who ask them. Jake, it's Chinatown. Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway in Chinatown, rated R. Damn, this movie packs a punch. I had seen it once before more than 20 years ago, and I remember being a bit underwhelmed, but likely for the wrong reasons. It wasn't long after L.A. Confidential came out, and this was so hyped as a modern classic, which had inspired Curtis Hansen's crime drama masterpiece. Also just reviewed that one. I guess I was expecting a 70s version of that film. And just to recap, in case anyone hasn't seen it, L.A. Confidential as a film is almost frenetically paced and filled with action and colorful characters, all leading to an absurd action climax. All I ever wanted was to measure up to my father. Now's your chance. He died in the line of duty, didn't he? Needless to say, I was disappointed as Chinatown was not that. But now rewatching it again recently, that obviously wasn't a fair bar to set as the two films were from completely different eras directed in completely different styles. Now, they're both great films and they both have similar themes, both focusing on the corruption rotting within a burgeoning Los Angeles post-World War II. Today, you can walk out that door, turn right, hop a streetcar, and within 25 minutes, end up smacking the Pacific Ocean. Now, you can swim in it and you can fish in it, but you can't drink it and you can't irrigate an orange grove with it. Now, remember, we live next door to the ocean, but we also live on the edge of a desert. Los Angeles is a desert community. Beneath this building, beneath our streets, is a desert. And without water, the dust will rise up and cover us as though we never existed. And they both also feature dazzling jazz-infused noirish scores from the late, great Jerry Goldsmith. But that's pretty much where the similarities end. Because Polanski, along with writer Robert Town, crafted a somewhat deliberately paced, well, at least by today's standards, but genuinely absorbing neo-noir thriller with an extremely dark mystery at its core. 
and it pulls no punches. Now knowing where it leads in the final act and what's revealed, last time I was watching it, I honestly had a pit in my stomach over the last hour. It actually brings so much more weight to Faye Dunaway's performance. Did you have affairs? Mr. Giddies. Did he know about it? Well, I wouldn't run home and tell him every time I went to bed with someone, if that's what you mean. Is there anything else you want to know about me? Where were you when your husband died? I can't tell you. You mean you don't know where you were? I mean, I can't tell you. You were seeing someone, too, for very long? I don't see anyone for very long, Mr. Giddies. It's difficult for me. She is genuinely amazing as Evelyn Mulray, the, quote, lady in question, who has inadvertently drawn Nicholson's Jake Gitz into a mystery that starts with him just looking into a possible affair involving the head of the local water board who she is married to, which of course leads to a much deeper plot involving several murders and an attempt by some local bigwigs to corner the market for water in L.A. during a time when it was quite the commodity. Actually, that really hasn't changed much 50 years later, has it? It should also go without saying that Nicholson is also fantastic in this. His hard-boiled private dick initially comes off with all the smugness which we would come to expect from any character played by him over the next several decades. Isn't that your phone number? Is it? I forget. I don't call myself that often. Well, just to make sure, we had Lotia give you a call. What happened to your nose, Giddy? Somebody slammed a bedroom window on it. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Your wife got excited. She crossed her legs a little too quick. You understand what I mean, pal? And he looks the part, too. Nicholson was never typically leading man handsome, but he looks pretty sharp in those white suits. But we watch as his character goes through a distinct but subtle awakening throughout. Giddes thinks he has seen it all, but often finds himself in way over his head to the point where all of the strategic errors that his detective makes during the third act of this story, they feel earned and sadly inevitable. There are several powerhouse scenes between Dunaway and Nicholson. Kind of shocking that neither of them won Oscars that year. You can't always tell what's going on. Not with you. Why was, um... Why was it bad luck? I was trying to keep someone from being hurt. I ended up making sure that she was hurt. Was there a woman involved? Of course. Dead? Of course, they had the misfortune of running into some big Oscars competition from Coppola, Scorsese, and Irwin Allen. Hey, the Towering Inferno dominated the technical categories. Lord knows why. But the cast had other strong players as well including Perry Lopez playing local cop Escobar, who has a predictably strained relationship with Giddis as they used to work the beat together as cops in Chinatown, as it turns out. You want to do your partner a big favor? Take him home. Take him home! Just get him the hell out of here! Go home, Jake. I'm doing you a favor. And then there's John Houston the legendary director who also occasionally acted. In what I can say is probably one of the most effective villain turns of the 1970s, playing Noah Cross. See, Mr. Gibbs, either you bring the water to L.A. or you bring L.A. to the water. How are you going to do that? By incorporating the valley into the city. Simple as that. How much are you worth? I have no idea. How much do you want? No, I just want to know what you're worth. Over $10 million? Oh, my, Yes. Why are you doing it? 
How much better can you eat? What can you buy that you can't already afford? The future, Mr. Gitz. The future. Houston only has a few select scenes, but does he ever leave a mark with them? Obviously, the screenplay does some of the work for him while he's off screen, but it's still all there in his performance. His menace is all relaxed at this point. It shows in the weathered face of someone who smiles too easily while never showing his eyes. And now the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. As mentioned earlier, the musical score for this film was composed by the late, great Jerry Goldsmith. Doing research on Goldsmith, I had assumed that since I was familiar with a lot of his work from the 80s and 90s, that his score for Chinatown had occurred relatively early in his career, as this movie came out in 74. But alas, I was wrong, as he had been composing since the 1950s. I mean, wow, just such a phenomenal career, scoring both movies and television over five decades. And he was one of the earliest TV composers, no less, giving us very memorable themes for shows like the original Perry Mason, Gunsmoke, and Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, this guy did iconic music from the get-go. Themes that would even be quoted and referenced decades later in other movies and TV shows, including the original theme for The Twilight Zone. Goldsmith hailed from Southern California and was already a Hollywood fixture in his 20s. Now, I grew up truly appreciating many of his best scores from the 80s. And if there was one aspect of his music which was distinct, it was his ability to utilize synthesizers within his scores and still give them a timeless, majestic feel. With one highlight being his rousing score for the 1987 basketball drama Hoosiers, which he did receive an Oscar nomination for. Goldsmith also had an affinity for old-school jazz, which he would incorporate into some truly unique scores for thrillers like The Russia House, often giving them another dimension. This, of course, brings me to his Oscar-nominated score for Chinatown, which not only goes full-on jazz at points, but sounds very akin to saxophone-driven music for older noir films, like The Big Sleep. Goldsmith's main theme for Chinatown, otherwise known as the, quote, love theme from Chinatown, alternates between distinct horn movements and strings, with, of course, piano notes throughout. It's definitely its own character here, as we hear throughout the film, often heard alongside interactions between Jake and Evelyn. Just gorgeous music, which sounds both sexy and romantic in equal measures.
Goldsmith left us in 2004 at the age of 75, losing a long-fought battle with cancer. 18 years after his death, he is now remembered as one of America's greatest composers, with his music for Chinatown among his finest achievements. The next category is Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. As far as I can tell, no talent was wasted in the making of this film, in front of nor behind the camera. Everyone involved brings their A-game as the movie both looks and sounds impeccable. The next category is the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. For me, this has to be the moment relatively early on in the film when we realize that with regards to the danger faced by our protagonist, Jake Giddies, to put things bluntly, shit just got real. As the heart of his investigation involves water rights around Los Angeles, we find Giddies snooping around the city reservoir at night when seemingly no one else is there. It's quite the tense sequence as he hops a fence into a part of the reservoir and then suddenly hears gunshots. And then a wave of water rushes towards him, so he hops out, now sloshing around with just one shoe. Then these two men walk towards him. One of them, a shorter fellow, wearing a bow tie. Jake predictably mouths off to them, and when the other man holds him, the shorter man does something to him unexpectedly, which I know had audiences gasping back in 74, and would still have that effect even today. Hello, Claude. Where'd you get the midget? You're a very nosy fellow, kitty cat, huh? You know what happens to nosy fellows? Huh? No? Wanna guess? Huh? No? Okay. They lose their noses. Next time you lose the whole thing. Cut it off and feed it to my goldfish. Understand? Understand. I understand, Giddy. I understand. Yep, the shorter man in the bow tie quickly pulls out a switchblade, sticks it into one of Giddy's nostrils, and then pulls it right out, resulting in a spurt of blood and with Jake on the ground, wincing in pain as blood gushes out of his face. The way this is shown to us is quick, straightforward, and no less shocking as a result. It's a jolt to the story and the tension from that point on. And it also results in Nicholson wearing a variety of nose bandages for at least half of the film's runtime, affecting his voice and adding a new vulnerable dimension to his performance. Even better, guess who plays that shorter fellow with the switchblade? It's none other than the director Roman Polanski. And it definitely goes down as one of the better director's cameos, which serves the story as opposed to distracting from it. Especially since Polanski himself had just the right sort of strange accent and diminutive stature to pull it off. And now the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As elegantly directed as Chinatown is, and as strong as many of the performances are, what truly elevates it the most is its screenplay by renowned writer Robert Town, who would win this film's only Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. It's not only beautifully structured, but it does an adept job of taking a lot of the tropes of 1940s film noir and modernizing them for the 1970s. We see several familiar character archetypes from an older era, including Jake the Gumshoe or Evelyn the supposed, quote, femme fatale. But these character types are taken further into more realistic resolutions than would have been allowed during Hayes Code era films of the 1940s. And yes, this film does have a dark ending where the bad guy wins and the good guy walks away seemingly demoralized. But it's more than that. This isn't some bleak twist ending along the lines of Seven, and nothing against that movie, which I love, by the way. Oh, what's in the box? No, this is something different. 
Town's screenplay presents us with a slowly unraveling mystery where we are pretty much told off the bat that our protagonist is dealing with a force of evil and power which is well beyond him. See, Mr. Gitz, most people never have to face the fact that the right time and the right place, they're capable of anything. Giddes is always playing catch-up. He never actually has the upper hand in this story, even when he finally realizes the full extent of Noah Cross's corruption. The measures that he takes to try to save Evelyn towards the end are too little, too late. Like I said, it packs a punch, and it's pretty heartbreaking to watch. But it never ceases to be absorbing or entertaining throughout. Town just fills this story with clever dialogue that rarely seems to be calling attention to just how clever it is. Even some of our most beloved, best modern screenwriters like Quentin Tarantino or Aaron Sorkin have too often fallen victim to this. Among some of the better gems. No point in getting tough with me. I'm just I don't to... get tough with anyone, Mr. Giddies. My lawyer does. Of course I'm respectable. I'm old. Politicians, ugly buildings, and whores all get respectable if they last long enough. Holly seems to think you're an innocent man. Well, I've been accused of a lot of things before, Mrs. Mulray, but never that. You see, even when characters in this story sound at their most clever, there's still a bluntness there that brings us a genuine balance between the rat-a-tat theatricality of those aforementioned films from the 1940s and the grittiness which came from many of the best dramas of the 1970s. And what results is a film which ends up taking on kind of a timeless quality. For crafting such a unique screenplay for such an exceptional film, Robert Town is the MVP. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. My rating for Chinatown is five stars out of five. So yes, this film is one of the best of the 1970s. And yes, it is deserving of all of the praise which has been lavished upon it since its initial release 48 years ago. If, like myself, you were not convinced after seeing it the first time, then it is definitely worth revisiting. And if you're looking to watch Chinatown, it's currently streaming on HBO Max, Canopy, and DirecTV. And that ends another hard-boiled review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.